Welcome to When Nature Calls, a podcast all about nature with each episode featuring a topic from the true to the silly to the bizarre. I'm Renee, the manager of Red Oak Nature Center in Batavia, Illinois, and with me is... This is Christy, your environmental education supervisor. And today, on episode four, we are talking all about crayfish. Wait a second, this is an episode four. This is episode five, and of course we're talking about crayfish. Let's enjoy. Last podcast, we had a poll that asked what you prefer to call those beetles that light up in the sky, lightning bugs or fireflies. And over 83% of you said lightning bugs. So thank you for voting. Maybe we'll have to vote on the most popular name for crayfish too, because they go by various names. Like, so so what, do you, what do you call them? I, I say crayfish. Yes. I like to pretend that I can say crawfish. Okay. I've never said mud bugs. I've never said mud bugs. I've never said... Uh, um, crawdads? Crawdads. That, that crawdads. Crawdads never. I'm usually a crayfish or a crawfish. Me too, but there are other places that call them yabbies and mountain and freshwater lobster, okay. which is what they look like. They do. So we have different names on that, so maybe we'll have to host a different voting to find out what people think of it. it. And we can find out where people listen from because in Louisiana, they most often say crawfish. Northerners like us say crayfish. That's amazing. And the West Coast are Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Kansas use the term crawdad. All right. So if people vote with those different ones, we'll be Let's like, oh, it. you're listening from different places. Why not? Let's get the public involved. Let's I do like this. I like that. Let's right. see who our audience is. Okay. I like it. So crayfish are pretty unique. <clears throat> in that they are related, believe it or not, to arthropods. Arthropods, that's a big word. What does that mean? So think about insects. Okay. Things that have exoskeletons, things that have uh, 10 legs, 6 legs, 8 legs. So all of those insects uh, fall under arthropoda. And that feet. Yes. Len. Okay. Uh, um, but then these guys branch off from those other insects and they go under crustaceans. Okay. Because they have that, that different sort of shell. Yep. Okay. Um, and then crayfish can be further broken down into decapoda. So if you, if you know deck, <laughs> DEC stands for 10. So they have 10 legs, which is pretty amazing. Um, and, you know, I think one of the biggest questions people might have, at, at least it's a question that I had, is what's the difference between a crayfish and a lobster? Oh, that's a good question, because they look like lobsters. They look almost exactly alike, except for the size. Yes. And the main difference is where they live. So lobsters and those relatives live in salt water. Yay. And <laughs> I, 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 feel, I feel a shark reference coming, folks. Hang on. And um, crayfish live in freshwater. So if you are out in the ocean and you see a tiny little crayfish-looking thing, it's not. It's just a lobster. Um, and there are some species of lobsters that don't have claws, mm -hmm. but if it's found in the ocean in salt water, it is a lobster. If okay. it's in a river or a lake with fresh water, it's a crayfish. That's awesome. Yeah. And um, you said they don't get very big? No, I mean the majority of the ones that we'll find here um, fall in like that three to six inch range. Okay. So maybe about the size, the length of your hand. Um, but there are some real record winners out there because, of course, I need to know what That's the smallest always, and the largest is. Right. 
And so the smallest crayfish is, you know, uniquely sometimes those scientists make it easy for us, are called dwarf crayfish. Oh, clever. <laughs> clever, clever. Um, and they actually say that dwarf crayfish make great pets. Oh. Um, so you can keep them in very small little freshwater tanks, little aquariums, and they eat tiny little things because they're only three to five centimeters long. Oh, that is tiny. They're really tiny. They're very tiny. <laughs> and they resemble a lot of the shrimp that you can buy, like, uh, like I don't know if they're freshwater or saltwater shrimp. There's different kinds. But they're very similar. They can come in many different colors. Um, but again, they're super tiny, three to five centimeters long. And in comparison, the largest crayfish is not found here. No. So, sorry about that. <laughs> um, it's actually from Tasmania. Awesome. And again, <laughs> thank you, scientists. It is the Tasmanian giant freshwater crayfish. So apparently in Tasmania, they are called crayfish. Okay. Okay. Um, these guys get huge. Um, it is an endangered species because they're found in really deep lakes and rivers. So really, you know, down in the depths there. Well, they need it. Um, and I've heard the largest is up to 13 pounds. Oh, okay. I heard that it was eight pounds. So 13 okay. is much bigger. Okay. So, so maybe on a, average eight. Maybe eight. I mean, that's the size of a human baby. It, <laughs> so it that's is. a big. I mean, even large crayfish. lobsters don't get that big. No. Okay. No. Um, but the craziest thing that I found about these guys is even though they're so large, their diet, these Tasmanian crayfish, is uh, decaying wood and leaves. That's a so, lot of wood so, and leaves that they've been around <laughs> Tasmania. <laughs> so they're not particularly eating meat, although they will eat some things that have died. They're right, crayfish? Yeah, um, but mostly detritus. So uh, sticks, leaves, branches that fall down to the bottom, they're eating the little teeny tiny bacteria off of those parts to survive. So the smallest thing is eaten by a large thing, which is super cool. That's awesome. And they're keeping our freshwater habitats healthier. Yes, By yes. keeping it from getting too crowded with detritus, like you said. Absolutely. And I also heard it's the largest freshwater invertebrate, period. Oh, fantastic. So it's super fancy okay. in Tasmania. Love it. I wonder if we'll ever get those here. Uh, you know, maybe <laughs> not here. Okay, in 2011, they discovered a new crayfish, and it was in Tennessee, and it was called the... Barbicambrus simonsi. Simonsi. Who's to argue? <laughs> it's not going to be me. <laughs> <laughs> so what was special about this guy? Because he's not the Tasmanian size, but... He's not, but compared to the crayfish that we have here, the, the most common ones, um, this was... Five inches long, so I think from head to end of tail is five inches long. So about the size of a palm. Yes, um, but in palm. comparison to a lot of our common native species, that's twice the size of all of our other ones. Okay. So um, pretty amazing, and it was university students from uh, University of Illinois. Illinois shout out. And Eastern Kentucky University that were doing some research and trying to find some species and see what was in this river down in Tennessee. And as the article from uh, NPR stated, a new species of giant crayfish literally, literally, Ooh. crawled out from under a rock in Tennessee, <laughs> proving that large new species of animals can be found in highly populated and well-explored places. So maybe that giant crayfish is out there and we just haven't found it yet. I, I think you're onto something with that one, absolutely. Um, it's pretty cool to think that you're just going looking for everyday common species, getting a, a population sense, something like that, and stumbling upon 
something that nobody has ever seen before. And I got to tell you, especially in our area, there hasn't been a ton of exploration. There hasn't. So there certainly could be some awesome new species just waiting to be found. So there could be a new crayfish with Christizai at the end <laughs> of the Latin or Renezai. <laughs> Although I might just throw it to a shark. It's <laughs> just really confuse the scientists. We'll have to see. Well, we're never going to find anything unless we get out and explore. And there's right. lots of freshwater creeks and streams in the area, as well as our awesome Fox River. And freshwater ecosystems face a multitude of threats. Um, more than a quarter of all endangered species are among freshwater animals, and that's over 4,600 species worldwide. Oh, so freshwater is special. Hey, don't we need freshwater? We need freshwater <laughs> to survive. Too. Hey, yes. So if you don't necessarily care about the animals, folks, you do care about yourself and you want to protect that freshwater. You're one of the 4,600 species <laughs> that are impacted by the health of freshwater habitats. But one way to find what's going on in streams and creeks isn't just to look at individual specimens. They found that a new way to see what biodiversity loss is happening, which is saying that all different things living there is going down to one different thing living there, is through eDNA. And eDNA is environmental DNA samples, and it's the genetic material that's extracted directly from environmental samples, such as the soil, the water, the air, or leftover from organisms left behind. We all know things go in, things come out, so that's what you're sampling. It's poop, okay? It's, it's poop, folks. <laughs> but again, we like to be scientific. We're so trying. We're going to call it SCAT, S-C-A-T, SCAT. Okay, there you go. And it's a cost-effective method for surveying aquatic species. And sometimes we can't find all the things that are out there, but we can find what they've left behind. And this is a very popular way of finding um, among scientists what's happening in streams and who's invasive, who's supposed to be there, and who's not. And in Japan, they just found that the signal crayfish, which is a different kind of crayfish, is spreading out all over just using this technique. So it's a way to survey a whole bunch of habitats without having to find the specimen that's right there. And we do have some invasives around us. We do. So... Um Crayfish are considered an indicator species mm -hmm. because they do need a um, highly specific habitat in order to survive. If you were to do some research um, on your own through the internet looking for crayfish species in our area, you'll quickly learn that they're highly specific to certain rivers, certain um, lakes and streams and creeks. They're not necessarily region-wide. Um, but... With that being said, you know, we do have some common ones that we find in this area, like the devil crayfish, don't be too scared, uh, <laughs> the northern clear water, the red swamp, and speaking of invasive species, mm -hmm. the rusty crayfish. You will hear us talk about these guys quite a bit. Yes, those rusty crayfish were released in Illinois in 1973 from a farmer's bait bucket. So all it takes is a release of one creature to change a whole bunch of uh, ecosystems that it impacts. Absolutely. So crayfish, what do they do? <laughs> what is a crayfish for? Well, that, what do they do all day? That's a loaded question right what there. What is a day in the life of a crayfish like? Well, starting <laughs> way back when, um, the beginning moments of a crayfish is when a mommy and daddy like each other very much. Um, the mom actually carries her eggs underneath her tail and the dad, all right, earmuffs time, children cover your ears. The dad has a sack of sperm that he deposits underneath her tail. Okay. And her eggs and the sperm mixed together, mixed together and they stay under mom's tail. 
And what's crazy is that these crayfish can have anywhere between 30 and 500 eggs all tucked up underneath their tail. So imagine carrying around 500 babies, okay? That is a lot of childcare. And <laughs> it's not like with fish where once the egg hatch and the fish swim away, they're on their own. No, 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 okay? These are... Crayfish moms are dedicated moms. Dad's oh, okay. gone, but the moms are super dedicated. So baby crayfish will remain attached to mom. So not even like next to mom, not like hanging out with mom in the front. <laughs> not socially distancing no, no, no. from mom. <laughs> hanging off of mom's legs. You moms know what I'm talking we about. Are, totally. Um, for three entire molts before they leave. Okay, so a molt, for those that are listening, yes. is when the crayfish basically gets too big for the skin it's in. Mm -hmm. It sheds that whole outer skin, and now it is ready. And when it does that, it's called one molt. Yes, exactly. So... You guys might realize um, our insects do the same thing. So there's some comparison between the two. But three molts before they leave mom. Now, in crayfish terms, it could be the span of weeks, okay. those three molts. They go very quickly because a crayfish only lives like three to four years mm -hmm. in total. Um, but typically by the end of the summer, so if the eggs are laid, mom takes care of them at the um, end of spring, beginning of summer. At the end of summer, the crayfish are large enough to create their own new families huh. um, but again you know these guys are highly specific to their habitats um, into their their streams and their creeks uh, but they are sneaky okay <laughs> they are sneaky they are um, called excellent escape artists I have heard this so if you do um, have them in captivity be careful about um, making sure you have secure lids and whatnot but crayfish have another set of gills on them that allows them to actually breathe air not in the water but outside the water and depending on the humidity levels of the air outside crayfish can live out of water between several days to several months oh boy so <laughs> if they escape they might have a good chance of getting someplace else exactly so side note in sixth grade middle school we did crayfish studies and you know Sadly, to my mom's uh, you know, horror, we got to take the, the crayfish home at the end of the study. <laughs> and we had it in a fishbowl, and one night that crayfish just disappeared. We could not find it for the life of us. I would say it was probably like five, six months before we found it under the couch. Okay. And okay. did it survive? Did it have enough gills to get it through? So, sadly, it did not survive. <laughs> However, it did not look like it was long gone it looked like it was a little bit more recent so that thing was living under the couch for i don't even know how long eating whatever little bugs or whatnot happened to be in our house because well guys that happen they're omnivorous so they'll eat plants and animals so yes. maybe you left some dorito chips maybe there's a <laughs> cheeto that sustained anything's it. possible but this is kind of one of those ways where we can have crayfish traveling through to other habitats mm -hmm. and reasons why certain crayfish species like the rusty crayfish um, can survive so incredibly well in our habitats. Um, I, I think, Renee, you've got some more information about this. So, okay. the Rusty. The Rusty. Well, the Rusty Crayfish is special to us, um, special to me because it was actually discovered in Illinois. Illinois is not its home range. It was actually someplace that was in the Ohio River Basin, and it was around the states of Ohio and Kentucky. But somebody somewhere, so they think. <laughs> we will not name <laughs> We don't names. know who. 
But according to the IDNR, the Illinois Department of Natural Resources, they believe that Rusty's got here in 1973 and were dumped from a bait bucket. So someone was done fishing and thought that they would give this guy a good life and dumped him into our streams and waters. And we just heard they've got amazing adaptations, so they just took off. And different crayfish have different attributes, so they're able to do different things. And this guy, the rusty crayfish, um, I'm gonna do my famous butchering of a Latin name. <laughs> <laughs> Orconicets rusticus. So I like the rusticus part but the Orconicats in the beginning is what I'm not sure of. And those guys have invaded much of Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, Illinois, Ontario, and portions of 17 other states. Wow. So when they were dumped in their bait bucket, they went, this is great. I love this habitat. Incredible. And okay. part of the reason is they're very aggressive. So as our crayfish that are native to the area that live here, like Christy was mentioning earlier, they're more docile and they are more relaxed. And these guys are just they're fighters. They're fighters. Yep. And they'll attack anything from the plants. They will take over fish populations. They will. They're they're just voracious fighters. So they are are definitely something to, for our our poor little guys to try to deal with. Um, they don't. They don't just like the streams. They like the lakes. They like the ponds. They like rocks. They like logs. So not only are they fighters, but they're highly adaptive. Oof. They don't care. Yikes. They don't care where they live. They don't care where they fight. Okay. They're creepers. Well, Rusty is an unusual name. Again, I, I like to say that scientists make it easy. Yeah. Does Rusty indicate the way that they look? Yes. Oh, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> Please, do tell. <laughs> well, it's hard to explain when you can't see, but there will be a picture linked to the podcast. Um, but Rusties are known for a little brown spot on the mid part of their carapace, a dark spot. And overall in color, they're about a reddish orange, mm -hmm. like rust. Mm -hmm. But this dark spot is a little bit dustier, a little browner. <laughs> and if you imagine picking up a crayfish where you grab it by the thickest part of the body and you've got a thumb and a forefinger on it, and if it left a dark spot, that is exactly what a rusty crayfish has on its carapace. Like and if the rusty were a mood ring? Yes. Like you picked it up and it was warm. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah, you left your little spots there. So if you're going to be an invasive species, having that dark, moody yes. <laughs> would show that you're aggressive and you're not supposed to be there. And so I guess it, it makes a lot of sense. And they also have um, a little bit on their claw, their tips, black band on the very, very tip of it. So it's they're easier to identify because of that dark spot mm -hmm. and the black part of their tip. And we're actually going to be having a... <laughs> Rusty Rodeo what? to wrestle up those fighters. Oh, boy, howdy. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Here at um, Glenwood Park, which is close to Red Oak Nature Center on July 18th from 11 to 1. You are welcome to come out with your families and see what you can see in our creeks. Just first of all, to explore, to enjoy what's out there and see what you can find. Maybe you'll find some new crayfish species. And also just to kind of get these guys, gather them up, wrestle up some of these rusties since they are aggressive so that our native crayfish have experience of trying to survive. Well, they have experience of trying to survive, <laughs> but have the opportunity there to try go. to survive. Um, and we're going we're gonna to work with the Forest Preserve District of King County. Mm -hmm. And we're going to work with St. Charles Park District, and we're going to we're going to get these guys out of our creeks and kind of help our native guys along. You know, these guys might be fighters, but we're Homo sapiens and we're humans, and we can get them. So we're we're, gonna, we're bigger than we're they bigger are. than they okay. are. So take that, Rusties. And there's so many of them that um, this will be a good event that we'll probably do every year. Do you want a tip when you're coming to the Rusty Rodeo? When you're trying to catch these crayfish, a tip is to stand behind them and not necessarily be in front of them. 
Crayfish can walk forwards, but they often swim backwards to escape predators. They have that stronger tail, so they're able to push water underneath them and be able to scoot back quickly. This leads me to, of course, the shark fact and some more information on our crayfish. Keep listening. You tell me, sharks. All right, so there is a group of sharks called epaulette sharks. Okay. They live in shallow coral reefs. They are not, now this might be, this might be a little bit of a stretch and a cheater, but how do you put crayfish and sharks together? Yes. Um, epaulette sharks are known for walking. Excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> so they don't swim backwards. Okay. They can walk backwards Just and a little bit walking forwards. So <laughs> sharks. So what you're telling me is that I have to be worried about sharks walking. No, these are tiny eat. sharks. These are small sharks. How small? Um, that is a good question. <laughs> smaller <laughs> than me? Yes, they're smaller than you. About, okay, so, about like two feet. Okay. So not okay. very big at all. And okay. they eat crustaceans. Okay. So if you think about what they're eating, okay. now they're in the salt water, so this would be the tiny lobsters. Oh, okay. These oh, would be mussels and other things delicious. like that clams. And so what they can do with their fins, they have the adaptation of being able to kind of maneuver because the tide goes out and leaves them stranded sometimes in these pockets of very That's shallow water. So they're able to use their fins to kind of step over coral or get to that next place or find where that little crustacean might be hiding it and nab it. <laughs> Not your foot, nothing else. Uh, they uh, nab it <laughs> and then they might be able to maneuver back to try to get to that water and it's amazing. It's a great adaptation. So, so add that to my list of shark fears. <laughs> Sitting on the beach as the tide is either rolling in or out and seeing a, a shark literally walking These are towards small. me. These are often multicolored, really cool variegated patterns on them. Okay. You would think they're very adorable. Oh, well, you I know what? You I'll have adorable. to do my research then. But All right. yeah, so Thank sharks, you. Okay. they can move backwards as well. At least a certain group of sharks, those epaulette sharks. That's amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> Birds. <laughs> And, and that's it. So, you know, it, it's important that we help them to survive. Crayfish fossils, 100 million years old. So they have survived for quite some time. And granted, there are good species and bad species depending on your location. So I, I think it's super important that we help to take care of these species because they are a huge food source. They are. For other animals. Lots of things eat crayfish, including people. Including people, yes. but. Uh, raccoons and um, egrets and herons and fish, mm -hmm. um, other turtles and um, crayfish not only swim backwards, <laughs> take care of their babies through three molts. Did you know that a crayfish loses his leg? Because they're, they're molting through their entire life cycle. That if they lose a leg or a claw in a fight, mm -hmm. that during the next molt, they can grow it back. They can regenerate their legs. That's impressive. I've heard too that female crayfish, before they can mate, they have to molt. So, so that's like, it's all soft and oh, okay. ready to probably grab onto those eggs. Maybe they attach better. Possibly. I do hear that some crayfish will eat their molts because um, it still contains all those good uh, minerals and nutrients, the oh, calcium in there. That's good. So sometimes they'll, they'll eat their own molts as well. Can you um, imagine being able to re-eat your wardrobe? That's disgusting. <laughs> because you're not talking wardrobe. You're talking skin. I'm not eating my own skin, okay? No, I'm going to switch it to wardrobe because I'm just even thinking that my summer Ooh. wardrobe and the heat and the humidity. Yuck. And I think that that's something we could skip, but wow, what an adaptation. That's, that's gross. But I mean, <laughs> there is a species of crayfish that takes it a step further from just regrowing limbs. They regrow themselves. They do. 
they are clones. <laughs> so in Europe and Africa, they actually have an invasive crustacean problem as well. And theirs is the marbled crayfish. Ooh, well, it sounds pretty. It, well, it's the only decapod crustacean <laughs> that reproduces asexually. Say what now? So all female, okay. they're all female. The species is making clones of itself. <laughs> what makes this highly invasive is imagine, you know, we've got these rusties who are who walking. Who runs the world? <laughs> <laughs> Women, okay? God. So a clone can establish a whole new population starting with just one individual. So if you think about an invasive nightmare, this is it. This is it. Incredible. So these crayfish, they believe, that although they were discovered in Germany in 1995, okay. um, were from two slough crayfish, they called them, from Florida. And they oh. think that what happened is that almost like a Frankenstein experiment in an aquarium, these two had mutated genes mated and created this new species although there's no way to prove it i mean this could have happened in the wild but i guess for storytelling purposes they decided to say an aquarium um and created this marbled crayfish it is illegal in the european union to be sold kept distributed or re released to the wild as well as in africa and now they think it's starting to come here as well That's so incredible. this marbled crayfish is um, amazing in the fact that it can tell us more and more about how clones can take over those. So, so this may be a silly question, but does that mean then that there are no male marbled crayfish? Uh, yes. They're only female. They're only female of this because they're clones. So that means the exact copy. That's So it's a copy of a copy of a copy. And unlike copies that you would do on a Xerox printer. Yeah. These are not getting worse oh. <laughs> as they're going through permutations. They are, they're just spreading and they thrive in a wide variety of freshwater habitats. So again, okay. it's invasive because it can handle a whole bunch of different things, different temperatures. It can even handle different acidity and salinity levels. So they can handle acid in the water. They can handle salt in the water. And they're supposed to be at a disadvantage as a clone because usually, like we said before, the clones lack that genetic variation to adapt. But they don't. So I don't know if they're like super clones. Oh. I don't know if they're... <laughs> Did anybody else's brain, I just had to look this up, go to that awful My Michael Keaton movie, Multiplicity, when you talk about <laughs> clones and how each one just gets significantly dumber and dumber? Well, I was thinking actually just of me? the TV show, no, Orphan <laughs> Black. Oh, okay. Clone Club. Oh. So if you watch that show, there was a, the title character found out through a series of events that she was a clone and she got to meet all different variations and personalities wow. that came from her genetic You're not spilling I'm not giving I'm not giving okay. I highly recommend watching it if you have not watched it already I will not give away the ending I do not recommend multiplicity but if you're in <laughs> for a good laugh go ahead for it go ahead go ahead but Couldn't to be a clone and be able to take over I mean a 10-legged mutant creature creature that reproduces and is taking over is something out of a sci-fi show That's amazing I love it Luckily we don't have to deal with that here No no but what we are dealing with here folks are the rusty crayfish, and Those that's what we need to crayfish. get rid of. And we're hoping that you're willing to join us. You know, we are offering this event where people can socially distance and also help out the environment at the same time. We pick up litter, we remove invasive species and look for other things as well. So if you're looking to register, it's completely free. Um, you don't have to register, but we'd like to know who's coming and you can visit www.wherefunbegins.org. That's the Foxway Park District's website. And you're welcome to register that way and come spend an awesome summer afternoon with us. 
Absolutely. Know that you're doing good, learning something, maybe being the person who discovers a brand new species. That would be exciting. <laughs> but just enjoying what's around you and, and getting to know your environment better. So you won't see any epaulette sharks. You will not see any lobsters. Both are saltwater. <laughs> but we do hope that you will come out and get to see what's in our creeks. And maybe we'll be lucky this year and there won't be as many rusties to find. That's ultimately the goal. Fingers crossed. Absolutely. We'll move on to the next So thanks for listening. We appreciate you taking your time out of your day to learn more about Nature Calling. We definitely touched on the true to the silly to the bizarre today. And if you have anything that you would like to share with us, Christy, where can they reach out to us? Feel free to give us a shout at redoak at fvpd.net. And any comments, you have an idea for a new topic, let us know. All right, well, bye for now. That's it for this episode of When Nature Calls, the podcast all about nature um, and all about crayfish. Specifically, we definitely touched on the silly, the true, and the bizarre for today. Everything from clones (laughs) to hearing what the adaptations are of these awesome crayfish. Um, If you guys have an idea or a topic or a comment, feel free to reach out to us at redoak at fbpd.net. And we'd be happy to hear from you. Yeah, and if you would like to participate in this voting poll, what do you call these crayfish? Are you a crayfish person, a mud bugs, a crawdads, a mountain of freshwater lobsters, or a yabbies? We want to find out where our audience is, and by telling us, we believe regionally we'll be able to figure out who you are.